so far. I'll try to do it as quickly as possible. There's a good chance there are some folks here maybe who didn't hear the, hear the earlier lessons. Blessed, God's way to the good life, is an instruction manual for life in the kingdom of God. We began by talking about the origin of kingdom living. That is, how is it that I get into the kingdom? And we discovered that what the kingdom of God is kind of explains the answer to that question. The kingdom of God, according to Jesus, is any place. It's not up in heaven or down here on earth or at the church building. (laughs) It's any place where Christ is recognized as king. Where his will is obeyed as if he were a king. And it's where those who do, that is those who recognize him as king and obey his will as king, enjoy the benefits of kingdom living. You can live in God's kingdom. In fact, we challenged you in message one of this long ten-part series to take that official step. Turn control of your life over to Jesus. Sometimes people say, make him the Lord of your life. Acknowledge that you've done a lousy job running your life and turn control Over to him. That's where the kingdom of God begins. Then we talked about eight principles for life lived in the kingdom of God. Eight concepts that govern life in the kingdom. And with those eight principles, eight promises that we make back to God. Saying, now as a member of your kingdom, living under your authority and rule... I will do the following. I will respond to this situation in the following way. I will make my goals and priorities the following. I will think like this. I will act like this. Here they are, quickly as I can cover them. First, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we said, I admit my failure and turn control over to God. Truth is, if you think you've done a pretty good job running your own life, You're not ready for the kingdom, okay? It's cool. God's very patient, okay? And trust me, you'll get ready, all right? But the thing is, no, uh, we're not going to rush you. We're not going to squeeze you like a round peg into a square hole. But when you get to that point, and I assume most of you have at one point or another, where you go like, I can't do this. I quit. God's just been waiting for that moment for you to turn control over to him. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I return to the cross again and again to surrender. That's because if on that first Sunday you said, I turn control of my life over to God, you woke up on Monday morning and found out somewhere overnight you scooted your butt back up on the throne again, because that's human nature. Okay, Even though you've made a public profession, and even though in your mind and heart that's what you want to do, your flesh keeps saying, yeah, but what about this? You know, and I, and I think maybe you know what's best for you. After all, you're you, right? You know better than God, and you find yourself doing that. And every time you catch yourself doing that, to mourn means simply to say, yep, there I go again. <laughs> I'm back, back to the cross. To die to me... And come alive to Christ. 
Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I learn to rest in him and then become all that I can be. Did you know that you'll never be all that you can be until you've submitted to God because he made you to live that way? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. I long for more of God. When you first enter the kingdom, it feels like you're almost overwhelmed by God's promise, God's presence, God's power working in your life. But as you live in the kingdom, you find yourself desiring more and more and more. That's how you can tell you're a child of the kingdom. Bless the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. I welcome his grace, and then I pass it on to others. What we find out is, um, kingdom citizens are to be grace distributors, but you can't distribute something you don't have. Okay? You've got to open your heart to recognize that you need God's grace, his gifts in your life. Bring it on, God, and as he does, you'll see it flowing through your life to others. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I set my priorities, and I sharpen my focus on Christ. <laughs> we realize that there are a lot of things that distract us on the outside. <laughs> Christ is our one true focus. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. I accept God's offer of reconciliation, and then I seek that same kind of peace in my relationships with others. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I keep on doing the right thing, no matter what, and wait patiently for my reward. That brings us to the conclusion of this series. And in the conclusion, we ask the question, well, what difference does it make? In other words, what kind of earth-shaking events should be happening in my life as a result of me living as a kingdom citizen down here on this world, not the kingdom of God, as I, through my life, bring to bear on this dark world the light of God's kingdom, what should be the effect. Jesus uses two great metaphors to illustrate. You're familiar with both of them, <laughs> but you may need to embrace them more fully today. First, he says, you are the salt of the earth. Now that's curious because he doesn't say either with salt or light to follow, you ought to be the salt of the earth. You should start trying to be the light of the world. You need to do a better job of salting the earth. You need to be a brighter light in this. He doesn't say that, does he? What does he say? You are the salt of the earth. He's going, here's what you need to know. You turn control over to me. Under my control, begin to practice the principles that govern light in the kingdom and watch what will happen. You are the salt. Your presence will make a very real difference. But if the salt loses its saltiness, 
How many of you think that sounds a little bit silly? It is silly. Sometimes Jesus says silly things to make a point. Because salt can't lose its saltiness. But what he's saying there is, if salt doesn't serve its purpose. Salt is always salty, but it doesn't do you any good if you don't put it on your food, right? Okay, if you just look at it in the salt, here, give me that salt. I'm going to set it right here. My food will taste better. That's not going to work that way, is it? No, you need to put it on the food. And that's what he's saying. He's going like, but, but if your salt isn't impacting the world in which you live, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except for to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. In other words, he's saying, your life has great purpose as a citizen of the kingdom of God while you're here on earth. But if you don't salt the earth, your life is pointless. Your life is more pointless than the person who doesn't even know the king. What good is it for you to be here as a representative of the king and you're not salty? He continues, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. John, I need your help, obviously. Thank you. Instead, they... <laughs> Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Not you ought to be, not you should be, not all things being equal, you are, but you are, thank you, John. Got tired of changing it for me, didn't you? You are the light of the world. The vow we make with this last concept is this. I yield to my king as an instrument of his righteous rule. Sometimes we struggle with this thing. God's will, my will. Even people who say to the pastor, Pastor, help me know how to find the will of God. What they're really saying is, help me be able to know what God's will is for my life so I can decide if I want to do it or not. Okay? And I want you to know, God does not play that game. Okay? <laughs> he gives abundant clarity regarding His will to those who are sold out to doing it no matter what. It makes no sense to live in the kingdom as a, citizen, as a citizen of God's kingdom and not be available to the king to do his will, to accomplish his purposes. Trivia test. <laughs> Good question. Who is that? 
<laughs> you know, he does look sort of like Ulysses S. Grant, but eh, no. <laughs> no, the Titanic guy? No. Uh, and I can't remember his name. What now? Yeah, you're exactly right. And who was that? Okay. Yeah, he, she's right. She said Salvation Army. This is the founder of the Salvation Army. Anybody know? William Booth. But good, you were the closest with Salvation Army guy. Yeah, this is the founder of the Salvation Army, William Booth. Well, William Booth did an awesome thing when he founded the Salvation Army. It's all about trying to help people and make a difference. Again, under Christ's authority, becoming instruments. Now, the interesting story about William Booth was he's near the end of his life. Sort of looks like he might have been there in this picture, so I'm guessing maybe this was taken shortly before his death. And uh, he's supposed to speak at the annual convention of the Salvation Army. But, problem is, he's very sick. And so, he decides he can't make the, the mission to the uh, conference. And so, the people, so dependent on Booth for his insight and wisdom, ask, would you please then just send us a manuscript of your message and we'll read it to the convention? Well, in that day, there was no email, all right? And what was available was Telegram, okay? Anybody remember Telegrams? You can be honest if you do, okay? Yeah, and in Telegrams, uh, the, the thing with them is they charged you per word, right? And, and Booth was famous for being frugal, okay? And so he's thinking, oh, no. I have like a 5,000 word message. I'm not going to send it to the convention uh, in a telegram. So he decides to dilute his message down to a summary statement okay, that will save cash and communicate the message he wants to communicate to the Salvation Army soldiers. So, here's your next question. How many words does he get it down to? One is right then, smarty pants. What was the word? <laughs> See, you better know the next questions. No, it wasn't pray, but that would have been a good one. Kind of, that's pretty He said, others. <laughs> Let's get our focus off ourselves, says Booth, and on to what other people need. Jesus was saying the same. Our presence here as members of the kingdom of heaven for the same reason. That others might be touched and changed by what we have to share. First of all, as we become like salt. We are the salt of the earth. Now, today, we generally use salt for flavoring. It wasn't not used for that purpose in the first century in Palestine, but that was by far not its primary usage. The primary usage of salt in the first century was something that some of the disciples would have understood well. At least four of the disciples were fishermen, right? Okay, And they lived in an arid climate, very hot, right? and um, no refrigeration, correct? And so they would catch fish. When fish are out of water, what happens to them? They die. Okay. And then, if you don't preserve them, if you don't do something to keep the meat fresh, 
they begin to decay, correct? All right. So, uh, today, we might put them on ice. Uh, how many of you think in Palestine they had a lot of ice? No, no ice, no dry ice. None of that stuff was available. Okay, they would use salt for that very purpose. They would salt the fish as soon as they put them aside to take them to market, and the salt would preserve the fish. Okay, and so when Jesus says to his disciples, four of them who happen to be fishermen, all of them except one of them living in Galilee, which was basically situated along the Sea of Galilee, so they all understood fishing, you are the salt of the earth. They knew he was saying, this earth is decaying and falling apart and dying. Your presence here, my work through your presence here, is the one thing that keeps them alive, keeps this world alive, keeps this world in a position where people can hear the gospel and themselves enter the kingdom. You are the salt of the earth. But, says Jesus, if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except for to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Meaning, that's a picture of something that's worthless. You throw it away. You discard it. Jesus says, your presence here as a citizen of my kingdom, has no point if you're not salting the world. Now that's contrary to a prevailing Christian thought which says, hang out with Christians. Live in a neighborhood where everybody's a Christian. Send your kids to Christian schools. <laughs> Keep them unexposed to the world. And hold on till Jesus comes back. By the way, even as I say that, I'm going like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. But the thing is, not to Jesus. He goes, that makes your existence here utterly and absolutely pointless. You're here to salt the earth. You're not here to avoid corruption by the earth. You're here to be instruments of change. On the earth. He adds the second metaphor. You are the light of the world. The light of the world. In, by the way, a very dark world. We live in a lit up world, don't we? I remember one time I, I, was, uh, I took some of my grandkids camping. And we're laying outside in our sleeping bags outside. Because their parents didn't know what the grandpa was doing with them. And we were like looking up at the stars and I was pointing out some of the concepts. One of the grandkids said, Grandpa, how come we don't have all these stars at my house? Okay. <laughs> and I said, good point. You of course do, but you don't notice them and likely can't see them because we live in a world that's all lit up. And if you don't go way out in the country where there is no external light, it's hard to pick up on the clarity of them or to see the pattern that exists in them. How sad. But in Jesus' day, they understood that. Ever try to function without light? You have done that. Here, here's when you did it. You're getting old 
and so you have to get up in the middle of the night, right? Okay. And when you, <laughs> when you get up in the middle of the night, if you live with other people, you think, I turn the light on, I'm going to wake everybody up. Okay. I have negotiated the distance between my bed and that bathroom a thousand times, probably 10,000 times. I certainly should be able to safely make it from the bed to the bathroom without turning the light on so I don't have to wake anybody up, right? So then you get out of bed, you put one foot out, you put the other foot out, okay? You start moving toward the bathroom. And then after about three steps, you jam your foot into the post, right? Your bare foot. And you let out this blood-curdling screen. You not only wake up everybody in the house, you wake up everybody in the neighborhood, okay? And you're going like, man was not meant to function without light. Hard to negotiate without light. Hard to move through life without light. Darkness is most prevalently seen in our world in the thinking that people have. Okay? <laughs> have you ever heard somebody say something that to this world makes perfect sense and then you go like, say what? <laughs> that's just ignorant, right? But that's what it's like when you live in a world where darkness prevails. Not physical darkness. We got light buku. Spiritual darkness, right? Says Jesus, as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, you are the light. People are not going to get where they need to go without you. People are going to get hurt and have problems and issues they never even dreamed of. Everybody in the house is going to be disturbed if your light doesn't shine. It says Jesus, you're like a town on a hill. In Jesus' day, when people would travel in Palestine... They would oftentimes keep traveling into the night with limited light. And they would look up ahead. Cities were often built up on an elevated area. And in cities, lights stayed on until late at night. People would light their lamps at night for evening interaction in their homes. And you wouldn't today, but you could look five, ten miles down the road and see the glimmer of a light up there. Oh, there's Jerusalem up on the hill. Just keep moving toward that and eventually we'll get home. Says Jesus, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. One of the silliest things that sometimes Christians try to do is they try to um, keep it a secret who they are and who they belong to. Now, there are other people, to be sure, who make the opposite mistake and try to cram who they are down other people's throats, and that's just as stupid. But I'm talking about the first stupidity today, which is people who think that as a believer, you can live your life and keep it a secret. Trust me, you can't. You don't even have to talk about it. If you're openly living your life for Christ, people are going to notice. You're going to stand out. You're going to stand out like a sore thumb, city on a hill. 
like a lamp on a stand, says Jesus. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl, says Jesus. Imagine, you're in the darkness, you need light, so you turn on a lamp, and then you put the lamp under your bed. Or you put the lamp in a closet and close the door. Well, that's kind of pointless, isn't it? Because lamps are meant to dispense light. So you position yourself in a place where the light of Christ can shine through you and affect everybody around you. You don't have to tell them why you're shining, by the way. Like, for instance, have you ever been in a committee meeting at work where they're saying, well, I think we ought to do this. Well, I think it's only right to do this. And then somebody says, well, maybe we should think about how it will impact this person or how they'll feel or what this person might have to do about this if this comes up. And somebody starts talking about human need and everybody else says, oh yeah, that's a good point. You don't have to tell them, oh by the way, I learned this from the Bible. <laughs> Just to have to show that somebody is present at the committee meeting who cares more about people than about things. You don't have to tell them why. You don't have to act like you're better than them because you do. Just simply... Let your light shine. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Good deeds that glorify. The word glorify is a curious word in the Bible. Glory and glorify are two often read, prayed, and sung Words that Christians love to sing, pray, and talk about, but have not a clue what they mean. The glory of God is the manifest majesty and beauty of God. I say manifest because you can't see God. Any of you see God on the way to church today? No, but... Did any of you see evidence of God? Oh yeah, that's a different thing altogether, isn't it? That's the glory of God. A sunrise, that's not God. But you see the glory of God, right? (laughs) You ran into people today, reflected God's character in their lives. Not God, but you saw God at work in them, correct? That's the glory of God. To glorify means to let who God is reflect off of your life. David in the 19th Psalm once said, uh, kind of from his shepherd boy mentality, I think, he said, the heavens declare the glory of God. He was saying like, those stars out there, they're not God. But I know The hand of God is behind them. I see the work of God. In fact, he calls it that, the handiwork of God, all around me. You know, the same is true of you. 
if you put your life on display, not who you are, because you're not much, but what God is up to in you, people will see God's glory. So Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others. This is not showing off. This is the same sermon in which Jesus said, don't do your acts of compassion in front of people so that they'll sing your praises and toot your horn. But he says here, let your light shine. Just do them openly and let people come to their own conclusions. But if they know you and they know you're not that good, they'll see God at work in you. That they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. History is full of men and women who understood this concept. I started the worship service today by telling the story briefly of Jim Elliott, who gave his life as a martyr as a young 20-something-year-old missionary, so committed to bringing the gospel to a people that didn't even know the name of Christ, they were cannibals, that nobody really knew where they even lived, but they knew they existed because the evidence was around. You know what the evidence was? The bones of other human beings that they had left strewn behind. And he was convicted that he was supposed to bring the gospel to them. You know what, what happened? They killed him. Okay. He didn't evangelize a single one of them. Then just a few years later, you know what his widow did? She went. Now that entire village are Christians. Not Christian cannibals either. <laughs> they gave up that way of life. What kind of people live like that? Only citizens of the kingdom. C.T. Studd was another one of those kind of fellows. He was a athlete as a cricket player and uh, had an opportunity to make a great fortune playing cricket but he left it behind to become a missionary and he also was a poet and, and he wrote this poem that you probably are aware of a couple of the lines from but it's actually part of a longer poem that's very powerful in closing I'd like to read it for you Right, stud by the way, if I was going to be a missionary, I wish my name was C.T. Studd. Pretty cool, isn't it? <laughs> Two little lines I heard one day. Traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord, to meet and stand before His judgment seat. For only one life will soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice gently pleads for a better choice. Bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. For only one life will soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its clays I must fulfill. 
living for self or in his will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep. In joy or sorrow, thy word to keep. Faithful and true, whate'er the strife. Pleasing thee in my daily life. For only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn. And from the world now let me turn, living for Thee and Thee alone, bringing Thee pleasure on Thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, Thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say twas worth it all. For only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I'm dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has been burned out for thee. You are the salt of the earth. Do you live at a house where they could use a little salt? Probably. Do you work someplace where a little salt is just what's required? Well, that's you, says Jesus. Plan to go to the dark kingdom of Walmart today? <laughs> you are the light. You are the light. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the challenge of your word which reminds us at the end of this long series that we entered the kingdom, we surrendered to the king, we live to do your will. Now what is your will? At least for the time being to leave us right here in this dark, saltless, infected world as your light, your salt. We make ourselves available for that purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing as we sing this song as a prayer.